This is Think Retail, a podcast where top designers, strategists, thought leaders, and business people discuss what's coming next. Food service brands from small mom and pop shops to multinational chains have been learning to adapt more quickly in an age where everything's moving at lightning speed. Just when you think you've got a handle on things, boom, along come Foodora and Uber Eats and you're back to the drawing board with another disruptive challenge. One of the ways food service brands can cope with change is by getting ahead of it. Today we're talking to Nancy Rooney, Senior Director of Global Marketing at PepsiCo about the future of food service. Thank you so much for joining us. We really are pleased to have you here. Um, Can you start us off by telling us a little bit about what you do? Absolutely. I work at uh, PepsiCo. I've been with the company for um, uh, several years now. I started off as a traditional brand marketer, but in the last six years, I've been working in the food service uh, industry. Um, I I run global customer marketing for PepsiCo, and I have the pleasure of working with a lot of smart people and operators at the national chain level, as well as with independents. Oh, lovely. Um, So let's talk about some current trends in food service that you think are going to be with us for the long haul. What's here to stay? Yeah, I I actually have five trends that I'll take you through and um, I'll try to keep it fairly high level. Um, but, but really, these are a few things that I, uh, I and we keep our eyes on um, in terms of how do you capture share of traffic, which is always on operators' mind, but also how do you build your business to, to, for the future, for future growth. The first one, health and wellness has been something we've been tracking for ages. The problem is, is you know, what people say and what they do is often different, but also the definition of health is constantly changing. So, you know, from the past where it used to be, let me, you know, burn calories and high aerobics and, you know, sweat till I'm dead kind of thing. Um, the definition of the health, you know, continues to evolve. And it's really around, you know, more around balance and this concept of what I'm calling fast good. And that's about how do I make good things more indulgent? So that would be if I could take a banana and make it into a banana chip like we have with Bear Snacks. That would be an example of good things being more indulgent or like an ice cream bar that instead of, um, you know, ice cream and chocolate is maybe a Greek yogurt uh, with a dark chocolate uh, coating. So that's an example of, you know, good things more indulgent. And then how do you make more indulgent things better for you? So that would be like a Pepsi Zero. So um, so it's kind of this, this, this merging of indulgent and good into this idea of health and, and continues to be more about balance. So that would be the first um, area of interest of a trend that we watch. The second one, um, I love this term, it's called frictionless commerce. And what that means is it's, it's really at the basic level, it's around removing friction from the buying experience. And that's driven by technology. Any mobile apps that get me to the front of the line that make my order faster, um, apps and services allow me to pay just by tapping my phone, um, delivery and being able to track the vehicle and how quickly it'll come to me. Um, all of those kind of technology-enabled solutions remove friction from the consumer. And, you know, think about this, this insight of, you know, consumers are always time-starved. That's not a new idea, but frictionless commerce in all forms is really becoming important for future growth. Um, So that's the second one. Um, The third one, and this one is really driven by youth, and youth, uh, as we all know, is becoming much more important in food service. They eat out more than any other group. They're projected to be kind of larger, uh, and their habits are a little bit different. And and this, this 
insights really around, you know, food service plays a role in helping young people connect with each other. Remember, this is a group that um, has never known a life without a cell phone. And as much as they're connected with many, many people online, they have few friends and they're lonely. And so it's a really interesting insight how food service becomes a venue for them to collect with, uh, connect with their tribe and to get kind of social status with their friends. So that's the third one. Fourth, value. Value, gosh, that's an exhausting topic at times because, you know, it's such an important driver of traffic. But, you know, at the moment, what we see in the industry is everyone offering discounted value, dollar drinks, happy hours, value menus. And, you know, it's really putting a lot of pressure on operator margins. And I think we've talked for years around, you know, value is a much more complicated framework than just price. Um, and, and, you know, there's emotional and rational value, but you really, we all have to figure out how do you, how do you premiumize your, um, your offering as well? And you can do that through things like limited time offers, exclusives, any marketing partnerships where you're giving consumers a unique, um, unique access to things. And that's, that's really where you can start to explore more premium pricing because they don't care. They want that they're getting value through access and experience. And lastly, uh, the, the other trend that's really important to all of us, not just from an industry perspective, but just as, you know, people on this earth is sustainability. And so we've got to figure out how we all work together to stay relevant, to be responsible, um, and really enable and support recycling efforts because, you know, that's something we all play a role in and, and really, I believe the future belongs to all of us. Definitely, we're hearing from people that we talk to that a lot of those points are really resonating with them. What about some emerging trends in food service that are just percolating, but you think might make a big stir? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you'd say these are just percolating, but I think I, I will call them emerging because I don't think we've quite figured them out. And I think the operators who learn how to unlock this are the ones that will really start to move into the front runner status. And so, you know, we all are challenged with this idea of, you know, value is such a table stake proposition, but we're also trying to figure out loyalty at the same time. And I really believe subscription models are an important component to how we deliver value. And it really addresses some of the trends I just talked about. It removes friction. I don't have to think about it. I'm signed up with you. You know my favorite orders. I pay a set fee. I get benefits as a result of that. Um, and, and so I'd love to see food service uh, operators and, and brands really embracing subscription models. Um, no one's really owning it. You see it, you know, like Carnivore Club and FabFitFun and so on, where I spend my $50 and I get $100 in value. And I think, you know, unlocking value and loyalty in a completely disruptive way is, is, is uh, something that I think is really exciting and interesting. Right. So that would be one. Uh, the second one would be uh, around the use of data. And, you know, typically in the past, food service has been a really tough channel to track. We haven't had a lot of tools. You know, you don't get the POS systems like you do in retail. But that's starting to change and delivery and the, the um, third-party aggregators. And just the fact that people are using technology more often gives you access to data. And I think there's a few problems. You know, as an industry, not only are, have we been lacking the data, we now lack the capability and knowledge to effectively use this data. And so that really changes what you want your talent pool to look like as much as how you want to collect and use data. Um, and so we really need to be able to understand how to mine data from the home, the phone, to the restaurant to understand how you can tailor your offer, how you can target more effectively in WinShare.
Yeah, absolutely. And then connecting the dots between, we had a conversation with someone else recently who was saying, you know, how do you connect the dots between someone who comes into a store but doesn't necessarily buy anything that time, or maybe they just buy a drink or a coffee, but they come back two weeks later with their family and tracking that is is sort of a, a tricky proposition, but it's interesting to see how the technology is starting to get there, right? Absolutely. And there's tons of partners and tools now that allow you to look at predictive modeling. I know in some businesses, they've canceled their syndicated uh, insights, and they are actually using, you know, uh, consumer surveys and guest data and so on as a way and listening exercises through social media as a way to understand their consumer better. And I, I think that will be really powerful for any business. And what about um, CPG and food service brands partnering together? How can they capitalize on each other? Yeah, that, this is really important because it, it goes back to um, uh, the things I was talking about earlier around how do you deliver brand value and how do you just, like drive a premium? How do you win traffic share? It addresses kind of those few points there. Um, you know, I am privileged to... Um, caretake a business where uh, we have some of the best industry examples of those collaborations mm -hmm. being Doritos Locos Tacos and Baja Blast, both at, at Taco Bell. And I think between Yum and PepsiCo, this would be the industry's most famous brand collaborations. Not only are they multi-million dollar platforms in their own right, but they've become cult classics and we know they are proven case studies for driving traffic. Um, and so, you know, it's a great way to drive different differentiation, but it's expensive and it takes a commitment from both parties. We both have to invest time and resources um, and, and money to make it work. And so if you're in it for the long haul, you can really get to some breakthrough ideas. Yeah. And you mentioned a little earlier, you're talking about younger people. So with Generation Z coming of age, millennials are already out there in the market. How do you foresee younger consumers wanting something different. We talked, you mentioned about they've never known life without a phone. How do you see them wanting something different? Yeah, I think it's, it's really critical. And I think the first step is to Gen Z and millennials have a broad spectrum of ages, right? They don't all behave the same way. So it's like under 35, it captures this age group. So I think, first of all, understanding the differences between uh, Gen Z and millennials, there are some distinct um, differences. Um, but what we observe, um, you know, you do kind of health attitude um, monitoring, which we've, we've done for many years. People of my age group, and you'll forgive me for not um, announcing what that age group <laughs> is, but we come from a generation where obesity was our primary health concern. It went obesity, cancer, and heart disease. Those were the top three health concerns. This is the first generation collectively where mental health is their number one health concern. And that's quite frightening. And, um, you know, as I talked about earlier, this is the loneliest generation. And so, you know, if you think about how you now want to use your space and uh, as a platform to create connections, right? People want to come and stay um, and, and have time with their friends. And so there's, you can find really compelling ways to attract this group. Snack menus, late night menus, communal tables, um, digitally enabled space where people can influence the music playlist. They can, from their phone, change the artwork on the wall. Ways to make an experience that's, that's truly a hub and a home for this group that's welcoming to them, um, I think is, um, is something important on how you capture this group. 
Yeah, that's a, that's such an interesting fact to think that mental health is the top concern of a, a, such a young group. Um, so what about food? Indeed. This is a totally different uh, subject. And there's a lot to talk about, but um, let's start off with uh, keeping pace with trends. It used to be that you could you could ride a trend out for years and people would still be interested. And now it's like it's here today and it is gone two days later. What's hot and what's coming and how can you as a as a big brand, it's easier for, for little independent brands to sort of throw a new uh, menu item out there. But for big brands that have lots of chains and different markets, it's much more difficult. How can you stay on top of that? Yeah, I mean, it's um, uh, this is when we realize we have the luckiest jobs in the world. If you work in the, in the um, food service industry, because my job is to go out for dinner and lunch and snack and try everything all the time to see, you know, not just the food that's being served, there's the flavor, there's how it's being served. If you think about beer flights and family style meals and all of those things that, um, that you see when you, when you're out in the um, industry. So I think part of it is really around, you know, get out from behind your desk, get out from your own restaurant and, and immerse yourself, um, and enjoy it. That, that's what this business is all about. Um, but at, at a, at a kind of industry level, there's tons of great resources that help track trends. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of many of them. Restaurants Canada is a wealth of resource. Uh, they do an annual uh, chef report that, to talk about kind of flavor trends. I also like McCormick's uh, flavor trends where they'll map adoption curves and so on. Um, and, but, but what you have to remember is the next big trend may not be the right big trend for your business. Yeah, that's and so it's really point. important. Yes, I think it's important that as you look at those trends, you've got to reflect on what's my proposition about? Who's my core consumer? Are they more about comfort food? So maybe I'm going to do some, you know, some nuanced twists on that comfort food. Or am I really servicing a group of people that are, you know, heavy urban, young demographic that want to be on the forefront of you know, trying charcoal lemonade or things like that. And so you just need to make sure you, you pace yourself accordingly based on your proposition and your demographic. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be a fit for your brand. I do remember seeing a coffee shop that had a, I'm not going to name names here, but they had uh, little packets of a sauce that was quite popular. And it just, I was like, what on earth are they serving that I'd put this on? <laughs> I was really puzzled <laughs> by it. And I thought rather quickly. Um, what about the rising cost of food and issues around climate change? Are we going to be eating different food? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think we're already seeing many of those changes um, uh, already in effect and gaining traction. Um, you've seen some acquisitions in the industry at the moment, uh, really into vegan concepts, which have been kind of. Um, you know, smaller, a little more niche, tend to be at a more local and independent level. But you're starting to see some chains getting into purely vegetarian and vegan-led concepts. And I think as you look to your P&L, you know, the rising cost of meat, um, you know, sustainable farming and all the challenges that come along with that, vegetables as the center of plate make a lot of sense both for the consumer, um, but for the environment as well as for the operator P&L. I think as well, you know, what's important when you talk about, um, I won't, I won't even call them diet or, or um, 
kind of concepts, but it's really more around lifestyles. And so if you look at the emergence of keto diets and paleo diets and Whole30, um, you know, what all of those diets have in common is those people will talk about how difficult it is to eat out. Um, and so those operators that can cater to low carb, low sugar, and more transparent nutritionals, uh, there's a whole group of people that you can, can meet um, unique needs for, which I think is important. Um, and then finally, I mean, gosh, I, I'm not going to be eating insects anytime soon, but it's a, um, you know, fairly new and very affordable form of protein. And you're starting to see more broader acceptance. Um, just, I'm not ready for it. I'm with you on that. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> what about where we eat? I'm thinking about food delivery services like Uber Eats that are absolutely everywhere, so much so that some brands are opening up cloud kitchens just to service the delivery market. Where do you think that we will be dining in the future? Yeah, I think um, this this is going to be this is the most exciting and the toughest area of the industry because what's happened is rather than saying, I just, I just play in the food service landscape, suddenly you compete with everybody. You compete with um, grocery stores. You compete with um, their home meal replacement. You compete with mom's good whole cooking. Uh, and so the opportunity for growth is tremendous. The problem is that the P&L is, is really challenged for most people. And so operators have to decide, you know, do I run it myself or do I hire an aggregator um, uh, to, to run that side of my business? Either way, you're losing a whole lot more money than if they came and ate at your restaurant. What you have to remember, though, are those occasions in many cases are incremental to your business. And so what you need to do is prepare your business model to service that um, area of the business in a more effective way. And so here's a few things that, you know, are already starting to happen, but will take up speed. There's going to be tons of consolidation in the aggregator marketplace. I don't think um, all of their P&Ls are as healthy. I think they're investing to try to win share and, and gain as many um, um, subscribers as possible, both at, uh, you know, the customer level as well as the consumer level. Um, but, but I think there's going to be tons of consolidation because there's, there's just not enough money to go around. I think as well, though, you'll see some of the larger operators take back ownership of their delivery business where possible so that they can get a greater share of the, um, the margins of that business. Um, but, but again, it, caught, it, it is a big reset to the business model. So those who can figure it out will be successful. Um, but, you know, got to remember, it's highly complex, it's labor intensive, um, you know, getting the right quality of food with 30 minutes in transit, you need people who can run your um, data and technology solutions. Um, so it's not easy. And while there are tons of great ideas from drone deliveries to traveling kitchens, it's expensive. And so for me, the winners will be the ones that understand how to do predictive modeling, which we spoke about earlier, and forecasting tools, so they can understand what the shape of demand looks like and build the operating model around it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's tough when margins are already tight, and I I feel for all the little the little operators that are independent that are you know. You ask them, you know, how is this working out? And they tell you, well, we really don't make any money on these, on the delivery orders at all. Indeed, indeed. And even from a consumer perspective, I mean, gosh, what do we know about studying human behavior? People are inherently lazy, right? And so people go, gosh, I don't feel like going out, deliver me my burger and um, uh, like deliver me my combo. And you're spending five to $7 on a delivery fee, you know, suddenly it's, you know, into $30 and it's just for meal for one. So the economics for the consumer don't make sense either. 
Right. Okay, so if you were to give us three big to-dos that food service brands should move to the top of their list to, to stay ahead, what would those three things be? Well, I'm going to cheat and only give you two. Oh, that's um, right. <laughs> but I, I think these are, the, these are the two big ones. And I mentioned them a little bit earlier is, this, is investing in digital capabilities. And the good news is, is there's lots of young people that work in the food service business. They're your staff in many cases. Um, there's lots of new grads that are savvy and looking for new jobs. Go hire them um, because they're your consumer, but they're also an important knowledge base. Um, interns can help um, uh, un help uh, help you understand the digital landscape as well. There are lots of students looking for intern assignments, um, and so let them talk, listen to them, let them look at your business, um, get, let them have a critical eye. Um, but understanding the power of digital and not looking backwards, but how digital can help you look forward, um, I think is a game changer. So that's the first one. The second one, the second one I think is fascinating, and I really, I, I, I think about this one a lot. I've had the pleasure recently of working, um, uh, I, I did an immersion um, in, uh, in Manhattan, and I talked to two of the fastest growing concepts in Manhattan. I also traveled into a real rural destination to deal, or to meet with a franchisee who's one of the most successful franchisees uh, in the U.S. Um, of an established brand. And I asked them both the same question, and they had the same answer. I asked them both, why are you so successful? Tell me what your secret sauce is. And what was fascinating to me is they both had the same answer, which was culture. And I, honestly, it made me really stop for a minute to go, wow, what, like, what do you mean by that? And here's exactly what this means. Every restaurant that I went into, the manager and the staff knew their community. They knew the three-kilometer radius around the restaurant. They knew every school, every fundraising group, every community manager, where the apartment buildings were, every local sports team. And they made it their job to connect with them and build a community-based relationship. And it was exceptionally powerful because... People are creatures of habit. I will go to what's easy and convenient. It's my usual. It's near me. And so if you can nurture those relationships to say, we're going to donate to your cause. When you have a special moment, we're going to celebrate with you. Let me post your, you know, football team picture in the restaurant to celebrate your win and, and talk about my community. And really, the, the insight is, is that personal connection is how brands and businesses are built to last. And personally, I've, I found that insight fascinating. You know, it's so interesting to hear you say that because it echoes what we're hearing from many people in all kinds of different retail industries, not just food service, that it's not just about the product, it's not just about the experience, but that this connection that people have to each other it attaches them to if you know if, if loyalty is the sort of the dream goal that you have loyal customers that culture is how you get there and it has to be authentic because we can all smell the difference when it's when it's fake right so it's yep, this indeed. is a real constant that we're hearing over and over again so i i hear you on that one well, thank you so much for, for sharing your thoughts with us. It was You packed a lot into a very short period of time. Fortunately, we publish a, a transcript of this, so people will be able to go back and read over and capture everything. <laughs> they won't have to capture it all just in the first listen. 
<laughs> oh gosh, yeah. I hope I hope I didn't go on for too long, but no, my my pleasure to to speak with you today. Thanks so much, Nancy. Nancy's two big to-dos are things we see in every retail category. And right now, a lot of brands are unfortunately lagging behind on both points. She made a great suggestion about how to understand digital. Digital natives do experience technology differently. So listening to what your staff and interns in that demographic have to say about your digital experience is a simple, rather inexpensive way to get some perspective. And I know there's more to it than that, but on a fundamental level, understanding what you need and how to do it are things that young grads are going to be able to help you with. The other thing she mentioned was culture, and this is a tricky one as well, but at SLD we would agree that this is mission critical for retailers in every category because getting it right is, is like winning the lottery. It comes down to people, and particularly in an industry where there is a high turnover of staff, unlocking the secret to great culture isn't easy. I hate to use it as a reference because it's overmentioned, but there is a reason for that. And I do have to say that at Starbucks, I do always feel like the people behind the counter are happy to be there. So a lot to think about. And as I mentioned, we do have a transcript of all our podcasts. So if you had a hard time keeping up with Nancy, like I did, you can take your time and go back over everything she said at sld.com under insights. That's where you'll find all of our podcasts. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. For more information about Think Retail, you can reach us at info at sld.com. For more episodes, visit us online at sld.com slash podcast. Next time, we talk about what retailers need to consider when it comes to collecting consumer data. We hope you'll join us.